You're listening to City is Playground, a Leadership Foundation podcast. I'm the host, Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Dave Hillis. Looking forward to uh, a special guest today. How are you doing, Dave? Rick, I'm well. How about you? I'm doing great. You know, this is our, our third in our 2020, we could call it summer series, or we could call it semi-post-COVID you know, 19 series, but it's, uh, we're, we're marching toward, uh, uh hopefully the, the, uh, middle to end of, of the things that we're facing. But, um, we also are, are looking forward to, um, uh, taking a further look at leadership in these contemporary times, not only, uh, in times of pandemic, but also in times of, uh, uh, racial inequity and also, um, some, some real activism that's happening around the world. And so what a, what a, a privilege really to, to have a chance to talk about that. So uh, I know that when we, when we get to this topic, um, uh, we think of a lot of folks that are doing a lot of work around the world, but today we get a chance to, uh, to not only, well, well, let's start with the Apostle Paul way back in the day, but then march our way toward Atlanta. All right, Dave? Uh, so uh, sort of set us up. Yeah, well, maybe a couple uh, comments here, Rick, real quickly. It's it, uh, important to note that we are uh, having this podcast on Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the day, right, that we ought to be celebrating when slavery ended. Uh, but in fact, of course, uh, that has been at best uh, a farce. And so um, I think it's a, it's a holy day uh, and, and ought to be pulled into the collective uh, conscious of, of certainly, you know, America. And then, of course, as you said, uh, you know, being more aware of that in terms of around the world. Yeah. The, the other thing I would just say, too, uh, since you referenced it, Rick, is that, yeah, there, there really in many ways is are two pandemics afoot. Uh, there, of course, is the COVID-19 um, and we have uh, talked about that and, and made note about that, but but equally, uh, you know, virile and probably more so, you know, of course, would be what is taking place uh, in and around uh, social equity uh, and uh, justice as it relates to people of color. Yeah, um, and so it's it's a sobering day. You know, it's a it's a day that I think we want to have as best as we can. Our, our our eyes uh, wide open uh, to be able to not gloss over uh, some of these things. Uh, and, you know, in many ways, you know, when we think about this theologically, um, it, it raises, at least for me, an interesting question. And I, I state it as a question principally because I'm not altogether sure what the answer is. But the question for me, Rick, goes something like this. Um, you, you read someone like St. Paul, and as he, uh, I think, layer after layer, uh, tries to pull back, what does it mean to be uh, in Christ? That, that term, in Christ, uh, is, is actually a term that he uses more than any other term in his mm-hmm. writings. And Paul, oftentimes when you're reading him, is simply pulling out the implications of what does it mean to be in Christ. For me, one of the most stunning implications is when he says, now in Christ, there is no slave nor free anymore. So in other words, uh, you know, economics ceases to be a distinction. Uh, There is no Greek or Jew. Mm -hmm. So ethnically, there's now no distinction. Um, 
and you know there's neither uh, male or female. So in a sense, sex as a uh, you know type, there's no distinction. So the the three things historically that have always I think held you know civilization apart from one another for Paul in Christ uh, they cease to be. Yeah. So you hold that and you. I think aspire to it. You um, are drawn to it. You almost, I think, tell yourself, "Can can such a thing be true?" Um, and as you think about that, then how do we live with this reality uh, that seems to be as juxtaposed to Paul's sense of that as can be? In other words, we're always thinking about class: who's got money, who doesn't. You know, we're always thinking about, um, you know, uh, ethnicity, uh, who's black, who's brown, who's white. Uh, we're always thinking about things around gender. Um, so I think, again, it, it immediately raises a question about how do you, again, live into that part of the gospel that you really hope and believe to be true, yet it feels like we are uh, on the other side of the universe from that reality. And I think that'll be one of the things that'll be great to talk with Cornelius about, um, who I, th I think will have uh, and has lived uh, with it uh, in some really wonderful ways. He's a, he's a real model for me moving forward. Yeah, well, it's, that's so true, Dave. And I, I was thinking about this, uh, we talk about two pandemics. What's so interesting to me is that when we get into what I would call like the biocentric, which is, you know, the, the virus universe, we're always thinking, well, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll do what we need to do until the vaccine. And then it's just, we put it behind us, you know, we're all vaccinated and we're moving on and everything's great. And then I think we try to apply that same kind of um, solution to uh, what I would call an ethnocentric, not a biocentric, but a human relationship, you know, uh, concern or, you know, like issue for sure, global issue. And I think that's where we've been in the past so many times. I, I, I think I've, I find myself today on this holy day confessing that kind of thinking, you know, and asking for forgiveness to think that somehow, you know, I can just, uh, you know, read a few things, listen to a few things, uh, and then I'm vaccinated, you know, instead of really realizing that, you know, I I have an active role to play, you know, in, in, in this world. And so it's, yeah. it's like I said, um, I, I join you in considering it a privilege to be able to, uh, to talk to Cornelius today, but why, why don't you uh, introduce us to our guest? Yeah, you know, it's uh, this is an interesting introduction for me, Rick, um, in part because I think uh, if I gave uh, real justice to the introduction, it would probably take up the whole podcast. Um, the, uh, and I've said this about, you know, the Reed Carpenters and the Bill Millikans as well. Um, but uh, Cornelius, I just, I can't actually think about my life apart from uh, my relationship to Cornelius. Um, so to give you kind of some of the, the, uh, the data points, and then I'll uh, bring them on. So I had a chance to meet Cornelius in 1981 on the corner of essentially 36th and G Street and for the uh, the untutored in the uh, the streets and alleys of Tacoma Washington uh, that would be on the east side where Lincoln High School resides um, mm -hmm. I was uh, <clears throat> I laughingly you know said this to people about young life that 
they wanted me to get the urban work going here in Tacoma. And uh, my, my regional director dropped me off the corner of 36th and G Street and kind of added me on the tush. And that was my uh, training for urban ministry. Yeah. Uh, and this is pre-gentrified 38th, that's you know, right. right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. So uh, I, uh, I walk into Lincoln High School and uh, it was a world that uh, I had never seen before. Uh, you know, the United Nations uh, you know, would, would pale in comparison to it in terms of just sheer ethnicity, uh, variety, languages spoken. Um, Lincoln was a, uh, had a long, long history uh, of, of being that high school uh, in Tacoma. And so that began the, uh, the journey. And within, I think, um, probably the first couple months there, uh, because really the only thing I knew how to do, Rick, was, uh, was shoot a little bit of a jump shot. Uh, I made it over to <laughs> Lincoln's old gym. And uh, th this thing was, this thing was uh, I mean, classic. It was this old wooden gym. And uh, I walk in and, you know, and I walk in and it's, it's all uh, black kids and, uh, and hear them, me. And, and uh, so they're picking up teams in the whole bit. Um, and of course, I don't get picked up on a team. Uh, and then finally, I think someone sprains their ankle or something, and they have to go to the bench and uh, <laughs> be able to come out onto the court and actually uh, uh, wet a couple jumpers. And so earn at least a little bit of credibility. But it was in that context that uh, I got a chance to meet uh, Cornelius. And, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's what we all dream for and hope for. Uh, in terms of uh, any kind of work in the city. Uh, it was a young guy. Uh, his, his potential was off the chart. Um, it was already obvious that, uh, you know, he had uh, gifts galore. Uh, and so it was really just a matter of he and I building a friendship and beginning to kind of walk together about how to, uh, how to help each other mm -hmm. get better and, and live into uh, the promise. And, you know, what's, what's interesting for me, Rick, is that, I mean, <clears throat> you know, Cornelius has, has referenced me as kind of a, a mentor, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 we've mentored each other, and it, it really, I think, took place and continues to take place uh, in, the, uh, in the crucible of our, our friendship. Uh, I mean, my three boys uh, would consider Cornelius, you, you know, in many ways, their, uh, their older brother. He was one of the first role models uh, that they really paid attention to. Mm -hmm. um, I think every uh, significant event in my life, um, you know, from the death of my nephew to marriages to, you know, my boys uh, causing a little bit of uh, trouble themselves, um, you know, Cornelius has been there, um, you know, counseling, giving guidance. Uh, so, again, I, you, you can tell I just go on and on and on. Um, but uh, that's, that's been part of it. Uh, to kind of move you up here to the future a little bit, though. So one of the things that Cornelius and I had a chance to do was uh, we were on Young Life staff together where I had a chance to be the urban regional director. And... Uh, Cornelius first started here in Tacoma, then went to Portland, <clears throat> and then ended up going to Atlanta to be the uh, urban metro uh, regional kind of director. Uh, and in the course of that, interestingly enough, very similar to mine, 
I think he began to sense that while he loves young life, uh, it's a wonderful vehicle by which to, uh, you know, do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It does have its limitations. And so I think it was 10, 11 years ago, he called me up and said, hey, uh, what about a, uh, a leadership foundation in Atlanta? And so uh, for these last, this last decade, uh, we've had a chance now to work together uh, with leadership foundations. And he's done a great job of building a leadership foundation there. Uh, and he's also put his hand, and I think we'll probably talk about this a little bit, put his hand to some other things uh, that have been really important for leadership foundations, including uh, working on our uh, global youth initiative. Uh, and now he's really put his hand to beginning to think about um, how do we uh, resource and empower uh, leaders of color uh, in the LF network around the world. And so we'll, uh, we'll talk a bit about that with him as well. But again, it's a, it is an absolute utter privilege uh, to, introduce Cornelius. Yeah, well, it is. And I, I'm, I'm thankful. I had a chance to meet Cornelius in person at a, one of our prayer events at the, uh, at the Abbey um, when we were being monastic. And I was so excited to see him because I thought you'd made him up. You had just created like this fictional character that you, you kept uh, giving credit to. But no, it's the real deal. So welcome, Cornelius. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Rick. Glad to be with you and Dave today. Yeah. <clears throat> Hey, you know, I want to, Dave, I, w- I do want to say this, man. Thank, thank you. Um, and we'll get to it, uh, you know, as we think about how I see the city. And it's funny how we met. It really will play into this whole narrative of how the, I see the city and the idea, too, of invisible to visible mm-hmm. um, will, is a part of that narrative, too. But Man, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, and, you know, today is really interesting. I know I was downtown at a march earlier today with this group One Race, where all these churches, my churches and a bunch of other churches under the umbrella of this organization came together and marched to the Capitol on behalf of the church, leading the way as it relates to this issue of justice. And so uh, um, my heart is full. Yeah. Um, we had this conversation today. Yeah, what a what a cool thing to be able to do on Juneteenth and and together as a, a community of faith. And why don't you fill in a little bit of the backstory from your uh, side of it, Cornelius? Like, you know, your life story and um, and maybe some of the major influences, um, you know, that uh, besides Dave, but you know that you have had <laughs> along the way. Yeah, you uh, you know, I was on a talking to someone a couple weeks ago. And the first thing that anyone should know about me is that I'm the son of Cornelius Williams and Dr. Betty Gale Williams. And well, Corn, that doesn't mean much. Well, if you met my dad back in the day, um, it would mean a whole lot. He was an um, All-American wide receiver, um, just phenomenal athlete. And my mom was a three-sports athlete, brilliant um, in her own right academically. And they, I grew up in Louisiana and migrated to Tacoma, Washington, hmm. and where they sought to create a better world for me, my younger brother, and worked hard, really worked hard, uh, and tried to provide for us what I think the 70s meant for a lot of Black families, uh, a better life. Mm-hmm. And so 
which I deeply, deeply appreciate. My dad was no punk. Um, if you tried to do something um, uh, towards our family, he would put hands on you probably and stand up. So he is my, fr in my house, justice was real. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was for all of us, but, but it was for us over at, uh, you know, on Tanglewood. And is your dad still uh, on this side of the curtain? He is, man. He really okay. is. And okay. uh, uh, what's great about him is uh, that, you know, some, he made some bad decisions, got set up. And so he spent some time away in a uh, jail and whatnot. And, mm -hmm. um, and it really kind of during that time is when the immersion of Dave came into my life. Um, prior to Dave, you know, there was John Brathholm, who was my coach for the Boys and Girls Club basketball team. I was god awful, Rick. I mean, I mean, <laughs> terrible. You know, I, I well, that's why Dave showed up to make you feel good, oh, like man. you're I like you're great. Man, I, I got cut <laughs> from basketball teams. I was just terrible. But but John, um, I think you know he came into a time to just walk with me. And then there was this one guy, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to mention it. His name was Wendell Phillips. Wendell Phillips was this guy at, if you're not, if you're listening to this in Tacoma, Washington, there's a church on the east side, uh, Bethesda Baptist Church. It's a small church. And back during the 70s, a lot of Baptist churches had the, this bus ministry where they go into the urban community and pick up the urban kids on buses and then bring them to their church and share the gospel. So yeah, did that. And so the person that I am so grateful for is Wendell Phillips. And Wendell Phillips was the bus driver. <laughs> he was the guy that just made sure we always got to these different places and we went out to the mountains and whatnot. And, um, and that, you know, and John and Wendell, you know, and then Dave came along, really have informed how I go about the work that I do. Who are those people that are walking with you, who are trying to um, get you into different experiences, who see something in you and want to invest in you? And so, man, the, the, I mean, then I met Dave and Rocky and Kevin Schubkegel, I mean, who were just relentless in their pursuit of us. And we were a mess. Dave cleaned it up, man. I mean, he didn't tell it all, Rick. I do want to say that. <laughs> that group that he used to hoop with, man, God bless. He can't say what all the stuff we got into, but um, their faithfulness to us really informed it. And then I, you know, I went on a, um, I'll say this for those of you that are listening. Um, it was, you know, really a pivotal moment to be exposed to young life when I was, because I didn't know where I was going. I really didn't. Um, and, you know, I started going to Young Life and this, I try to do this today with leaders all over the country is the thing that I think Dave did that was huge in my life is he just kept pursuing me every week. Yeah. You know, and then there was maybe a couple things that, you know, I picked up. I remember my first verse, he had me memorize Matthew 22, 37 through 40. I never forget that. Um, but what was important um, to me is that his pursuit of me led to me saying yes to opportunities that I don't think I ever would have got. Mm -hmm. I, 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 honest God, I was on my way to the army. And then he said, hey, Corn, will you be a leader? And for those of you that know me and Dave, you've probably heard that story. Um, but you may not understand how powerful it is to pursue someone who doesn't see 
what God sees, who doesn't feel what God feels. And yes, you may have seen all the potential, but I didn't. Yeah. And then to be given an opportunity and entrusted with that. And yeah. that was it. And it started me on my trajectory. We'll, I could go along how I met Tom Skinner. And, and if you're in the Northwest, I didn't see a lot of people like me, Rick, who love Jesus Christ. And back in the early 80s, and the, one of the themes, I'll introduce it now that I think is pivotal, which is why I love the Leadership Foundation, is um, owner. This idea of owner. Tom Skinner commanded a room. He was black. He was brilliant. I mean, he, man, to this day, Rick, this is what's so funny. To this day, if you ever see me communicate, I do not use notes because of my first impression of Tom Skinner. Mm, yeah. How did I meet Tom? Dave. Dave took me places. I don't even know if I had business going, you know, I, but he took me and exposed me. And, uh, I, you know, I went on to play basketball. I graduated from college, you know. I came back to Tacoma, did some great things with them, which really helped me understand the value of team. Lena and Chris and Lana and Al and the Urban Network was dope, man. I mean, they were phenomenal, Rick. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, along the way, and now I'm down here in the A, just trying to really, in all sense and purposes, replicate uh, what I've experienced. So I'm just glad to be here to, um, as a person of color, um, that is just trying to do something about that. And uh, last thing, and I know we'll go on here as a, as a black person, um, and I'm definitely, I'm 6'3", I'm black, I'm male, cisgender, all of it, yes, yes. I'd be remiss though if I didn't say, coming from Tacoma, how my heart does break for Native Americans. They don't get the mic. Yeah. There is no Native American Lives Matter. Um, there's a lot of uh, Asian families from the East Side that they don't got the mic, and so, while I am proud to be black and I do think black lives matter and I want to uplift that. I also want to say, you know, to all my friends who were um, the first Americans, you know, Hey, my bad, we got some work to do too um, yeah. for them. And that's on the East side of Tacoma too. Yeah. That, that, that I'm, that's, that's home. And so I, I just want to up, I want to just say, Hey, you know what? There are people that may not have the mic today. I do. And yeah. I want to, it'd be remiss of me not to suggest that, hey, yes, while we advocate for black lives, but man, my native American brothers and sisters, you know, we got some work to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. We had a really cool experience once where we, we invited the uh, leadership corps, the Puyallup tribe to the University of Washington campus in downtown Tacoma. And we just thanked them for the opportunity to, to you know, to have a, a university on their land. And it was just really a, it was really a beautiful, you know, idea that it wasn't original with me, but I, I really appreciate what you're saying. You know, I think it's credited to Young Life, that, that little phrase, uh, maybe one of the, you know, the founder's phrase, but, you know, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And yeah. I, I, I feel that in you. And I know mm -hmm. that's a part of, you know, where Dave was coming from. And, you know, that's kind of the vibe. And it's just this uh, commitment to just be with people, yes. just forge relationships. So, uh, yeah. So Dave, what do you have to add? Yeah. It, uh, just listening to Cornelius, it took me back through a uh, memory lane to be sure. And, um, you're right. Not everything was shiny and rosy, uh, in those days. 
we uh, <coughs> one of the kind of key people in our sort of uh, universe uh, actually was a guy by the name of Darwin Johnson. He went by DJ. Uh, DJ was probably, and I think Emilius, you would say this, he was the first. Um, and he had this uncanny ability um, to just kind of bring others along with him. And in fact, I think truth be told, I probably met Cornelius through uh, DJ. Yep. But he uh, he passed away here, uh, what, three, four years ago? Corn. And so there was a, <clears throat> a bit of a reunion of all of us uh, at DJ's funeral. And then afterwards, uh, I had everybody over to have uh, pizza and uh, beer and and uh, it it was one of those nights, Rick, where we're all sitting around, you know. Now this is again thirty plus years later, um, and reliving some of those memories, telling stories about DJ. Um, I mean, just just extraordinary stuff. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I'd say about uh, Cornelius and actually all of his friends is that they were really the ones, <clears throat> uh, even in that first year of being on the life staff, while it would take me 13 more years before I would actually move over to the leadership foundations, uh, they were the ones that set me on that path because in, in young life, right, I mean, it's all about, okay, well, get the person to say yes to Jesus. And, you know, that's kind of the end of the story. Um, but what became patently obvious to me was I couldn't with any kind of integrity say that I loved Cornelius or DJ or Bernard or any of those guys well, if it was simply a matter of salvation. Uh, there were other issues that you, you had to take seriously if you were serious about loving. Um, and so, you know, at that point, I had to begin to look for another vehicle, another wineskin that would allow me uh, to you know, begin to think about things like leadership programs, uh, scholarships, uh, you know, building in uh, tutoring, all, all those, those resources that, that, again, looked, at least for young life, to be just extravagant, kind of above and beyond. Uh, but what I found at Leadership Foundations, of course, was a place where those were part and parcel of the salvific, you know, process of mm -hmm. life. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so true. And now, uh, now, can you just for I know, not for everybody, but for sure, for sure, for me, and you know, a lot of us listening, um, take us to Atlanta, and you know, and let us know kind of what's happening there. Yeah, there's, there's I mean, there's a lot going on here currently, you know, especially in light of some of the events that have taken place with the unrest. Um, it's uh, really been disheartening, at, at best to see um what i would say is man it's not anything new you know it's just like mm -hmm. man this is so old man not again um you know there was a situation that transpired at a wendy's and i oh, mean it just i just watched the news and it just broke my heart man and you know i you know i posted something about it being disheartening and then you know one of the guys that was in my mentoring program he said man no man we got to you know, we got to do this corn because man, that's what we need to do. And I was going, man, no, you, mis you misunderstood what I was trying to say. It's just disheartening to see this situation again that didn't have to go this way. And while simultaneously this is going on, you know, living in Atlanta is so different than growing up in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 
for uh, a lot of what I do, I'm, I operate in the majority. And so it's, it's, it's you know, Tyler Perry is here. Um, Keisha Lance Bottoms is the mayor. I mean, um, man, this is, this is a great place to be who I am. And also though, there's still fabrics of the way things were that are still here. And now it's all surface. And so um, I'm glad to be here in Atlanta. One of the things that I do see, um, which again, we'll, we'll get into it about uh, Leadership Foundation, is that uh, there's people that look like me that run stuff, Rick. Yeah. I mean, for real, bro. I mean, Rick, there's people that look like me that run stuff. And when you come, when you matriculate through an organization like Young Life, you don't see a lot of people that look like you that run stuff. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, and you know, for the, you know, I know what today is, as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure the people that don't look like me want me to run stuff if I really <laughs> want to keep it really real. Um, you know, and so, uh, but not down here in the A, man, you okay. know. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, I remember when you first got to Atlanta and you called me up, you said, Dave, seriously, there was like a black milkman it was just walking down the street. I've never seen one before. Man. Yeah, it was, it was so different. It was just so different, but healthy and good. Healthy and well, good. Well, you know, it's the same thing with uh, the history of civil rights. It's just, you know, the center of the target in, in, you know, in Atlanta. And then at the same time, it's such a progressive and amazing, you know, developing city. But um, I think when... You know, we've seen so many wonderful expressions through Leadership Foundation of seeing the city as a playground, you know, instead yeah. of a battleground and seeing that, you know, God is interested in um, all of us, you know, uh, just thriving together. But then it just seems like in the last month, it's been, a, it looks a lot like, uh, you know, like a battlefield, you know, there are just all these, you know, guys with clubs and smoke and all kinds of stuff. So mm -hmm. how, how do you, uh, you know, how do you kind of reflect on that metaphor? You know, that's really the title of the book that summarizes what leadership foundations has been doing for 50 years in the present context. Man, great, great question. I would say this, and it ties back to what you said earlier about this, um, biocentric aspect. I think the gift that we have slowed down um, to see and wrestle with who we are and what's going on, it was the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I think, you know, when Nehemiah in chapter one was um, given the news of how things were back at home, the story's not new, Rick. It's not like there weren't riots before. It wasn't like there weren't you know, you know, the Black Lives Matters leading marches before. I think the difference this time is there was no distractions. Yeah. We couldn't go to work. Um, there were no sports on. And we're, you know, for those of you that are in other countries, if you're in America, man, sports distracts. Um, it's our escape. And you pick it. And there's a following. And so the pandemic did it slowed us down and caused us to deal with whatever was in front of us in the moment and yeah. here we are and um so i'll say this what's great about the book title is you know cities as a playground well man i think a lot of people are just realizing 
Kylie, I didn't recognize how much of a battleground it was because you can fantasize and create your own little bubble, you know, like in a backyard. I don't know where you live, Rick, but um, in, in the suburbs, you can build a fence and you can go get your own playground equipment mm-hmm. and your kids can go out the back door and play in their playground. And that's what a lot of things have been happening in cities. People have built fences, right? And they've created and brought their own little playgrounds and said, oh, look at our world. Isn't it nice? Not realizing that the everything else outside that fence is just a battleground. And so I'm glad that the fences have been broken down Mm -hmm. so that we can see our collective city. And so um, now, now, can my kids come play in your yard? No. You know, hey, can my, you know, now, now, how do we, man, it's just, so um, I could go on because it's, uh, I'm passionate about it, but I'm glad for the pandemic. I do not wish the loss of life. I do not. I do not at all. Um, But I am grateful that it slowed us down to look at one another. Yeah. And um, I'll say this, man. uh, When Dave was talking earlier and listening to you around this idea of in Christ, you know, Paul's statement of in Christ is he's really trying to say, hey, in Christ, we are trying to go from Genesis 3 back to Genesis 2, right? You know, we're, 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 in Christ, can we put down our leaves and come out the bushes? Because <laughs> that was the response after they, you know, listened to the lies of the evil one. Yeah. They did yeah. not, you know, and they hid from each other. And then they hid from God. And so Paul is trying to say, hey, if we can recognize who we are in Christ, then possibly, it possibly we can go back to Genesis 2. And that's what I hope. And Genesis 2 represents that playground, bro. Mm-hmm. It sure it does. It really does. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, just so you know, Cornelius, I... I'm anti-fence, so I don't have a fence in my yard. I, uh, I'm, I'm a, my whole, my house is a front yard house, so it's just got the porch and come on in. But, uh, and I look forward if you visit sometime, you know, uh, but talk to me now about how you think maybe, you know, LF as an organization and for what we stand for in terms of, um, you know, kind of circling, uh, all of the services and, and, uh, collaborating and, you know, and joint ventures and, and, you know, everything that we are in terms of the wheel of change, how do you think we're positioned right now in, you know, coming out of, you know, our double pandemic, you know, biocentric, ethnocentric, and the whole, the whole program that we've been talking about? How do you think LF is, is, uh, is set up? Man, look, this, man, I love this. Now I think about this, I can feel it. And my hope and my prayer is that God, you give me the mic and surround me with the people to formulate the strategy to go after it. What the um, Leadership Foundation uh, Leadership Foundations Network offers people ownership. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, we are a network of owners. Yeah, who opt in to a collective way of approaching our cities. Where I came out of and other people are a part of, they are 
employees. Mm-hmm. And it's not bad to be an employee. It's good. It really is good. But this issue of equity comes when I'm at the table, man. Look, I'm an owner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just an employee. Um, if in other models, if you walk away, you have to abdicate your intellectual property to the large organization. Yeah. Surgeon's Leadership Foundation is its own entity that chooses to opt into a leadership foundation network and we choose to approach whatever issues we're facing in a way that is consistent, which is our wheel of change. Um, There are very few places out there where I think we can go into cities and say, hey, if you feel called to God to approach and address issues in your city, you can mobilize a team, get some resources together. You can be in charge. Mm -hmm. You can lead it. Yeah, and then come, we will circle with you. We're very generous people. We have intellectual properties that we're willing to give away that you would be able to do what God has purposed in your heart. Mm -hmm. That, Rick, is not what you hear out there. As a matter of fact, as someone who's, again, I'm I'm pretty articulate, I'm educated, I'm palatable, I have a good network of people, they want me to come work for them. And now Leadership Foundation says, no, Corn, we want you to work for you, but be a part of this. Mm -hmm. And bro, that right there, man, look, I haven't gotten the marketing strategy around it or the recruitment strategy around it but I am going to get that and I feel very confident on any continent, anywhere and saying, hey, you can be in charge Mm -hmm. and you can be a part of us and let us help you address your city. And you do not have to abdicate your authority, your right, we recognize you, we want to support you in that. And there's not a lot of places out there. And I can tell you that, man, look, there's not too many people showing up um, doing that. I'll give you this, Rick, and I want this. Um, the reason I'm saying it is because it's on tape. And we're, um, so when I approach leadership foundations about this idea of, hey, coming alongside um, new local leadership foundation um, presidents who are people of color, I want to walk with them, support them. Again, be Dave. I just want to do what Dave did with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so they said, hey, Corn, cool. That'd be great. And they would allow me to become a development associate. And that said, hey, great. So we did some research because uh, there was a study done in 2017 where there are less than 20%, Rick, of all nonprofits in the country are led by people of color. Hmm. Less than 20. And it's been flatlined. They said it's been this way for the last 15 years, you know. And so I said, okay, so let's, let's establish our baseline. You know what our baseline is in Leadership Foundations, Rick? Half. Yeah. Half of all local leadership foundations, bro, are led by people of color. Yeah, man. I mean, that's you're part of that story. That's for sure. Oh man, but but to only keep it to ourselves is not in the heart of God. Right. Man, look, and so that when I looked at that, I said, okay, let's go. I play basketball, that was a basketball term, you know, so that was really me just saying, hey, let's get our team and let's go. But that, Rick, I'll say this, it really um, encourages me. Yeah. And it inspires me and emboldens me to do whatever I can to go out and invite others to join our team 
um, to be who God has called them to be wherever they are in their city. So, man, I could talk about this like Dave could talk about me. This one, <laughs> I love the foundation because, again, simply it, it's a network of owners. Yeah. And people of color are welcome. Now, you know, Dave, we've talked about uh, in the past reactive leadership versus responsive. And what are you hearing here? Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a vivid example of what uh, responsive leadership looks like over and against, you know, reactive. And, you know, to kind of build on this a little bit, uh, Rick, I mean, again, in the spirit of this generosity that Cornelius referenced, you know, I think one, it, of course, is wanting to be an organization uh, that has dealt with the issue of equity uh, straight on. But it's also, I think, our hope that we can uh, be a model for other organizations that are really trying to wrestle with this, I think, in honest and transparent ways. And I think everybody's helped when you already have a model in place. And so that really is what Cornelius is, uh, is taking on on behalf of this. Interestingly enough, when um, he first came to talk to me about this idea, the prompt, uh, and Cornelius, you can correct this if you want, but the prompt was all of a sudden realizing that our most foremost recent uh, local leadership foundations uh, were all people of color. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, like, how did I not notice that trend? Uh, and it was Cornelius that said, I mean, look at this. This is, and this is again before uh, COVID. This is before, um, you know, the George Floyd uh, reality. Uh, so uh, he was the one that spotted it, and uh, and we have now begun to kind of put our our heads and hearts around. Um, yeah, how can we even double down even further on what it means to be an owner, what it means to do equity in the truest sense of, uh, of this word moving forward? So. I'm, uh, I'm beyond excited about what I think uh, this can actually mean, uh, again, for LF for sure, but I think for other organizations around the world. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I want to thank you, Cornelius, for, you know, your time today and also for, uh, you know, just uh, being able to to share with us not only the backstory, but then marching today in Atlanta uh, with the churches is just a such a uh, joyful image for me and and we got a kind of an ending segment here we want to uh, sort of add on a little new new piece for our podcast where we're going to call it seeing the city and what we want to do is just you know just have our guests provide some kind of a recommendation on how we can be i think in your language uh, how we can maintain uh, an undistracted approach because you know we've all heard that that old uh, you know, I think it was Aristotle who gets credited for the unexamined life is not worth living. But I love what you're saying today that it's the undistracted life that, yeah. you know, that really is important as well. So what, what do you have for us that would be, uh, uh, you know, just a, a recommendation to help us see the city? For me, there's the closing scene to the movie Black Panther, which is near and dear to my heart. And so they're in Oakland. California at a basketball court, mm -hmm. right? They're playing ball, these young brothers out there trying to get it in. And you, they cut to the scene where uh, T'Challa is there. And there's this conversation where I thought you were taking me to California. We were going to go to see Coachella and not this place, right? 
right? This shiny. And then uh, he begins to say, no, um, no, I want you to be here. And see the building, uh, his sister says, they're going to tear it down. He goes, no, we own that one. And we own the other one. Mm-hmm. And we own all of those. And this is going to be our first Wakanda International Outreach Center here in Oakland, mm-hmm. right? And so, so, you know, declarative statement, ownership. But then the next thing, Rick, which is beautiful, the technology from Wakanda comes down on the court. And the boys run around it and see it. And man, it's, it's this idea of invisible becoming visible. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was, it, it, and where did they pick? They picked the court, which is near and dear to my heart. I mean, again, yeah. that's started. And so this idea that there, that Wakanda has always been there, and we want to just make sure that what was invisible shows up and becomes visible in places that wouldn't ordinarily get it. So that closing scene to Black Panther is really what I hope that we as leadership foundations do all over the world, that we will take these invisible things and make them visible in places that deserve it, just like everybody else. Wow. That that is our, you might have just done the best recommendation and it's our first one. So we'll, we'll hold on to that one as the gold standard, but thank you so much, Cornelius. And, and uh, you know, I love hearing about uh, how, you know, Wakanda was always there. We've always heard this from Dave that, you know, uh, God didn't show up and we did. He's at work in the city of Atlanta and we get to, uh, you know, find out what God's doing and, and uh, partner up. So thank you so much for all you're doing and uh, send our love and, and, you know, our uh, respect and our gratitude to the whole team uh, yes, that you're leading and look forward to seeing you again. And so uh, thank you, Dave, for another fun podcast. Absolutely. Rick. It was great to listen to you.